Hello and welcome to an all new Marvel cast, Explosion Network's hub of all things Marvel. We're going to talk about everything MCU and beyond, from Avengers and Defenders to Abe Zimmer and White Claw. My name is Ashley Hubley. Joining me today, Kieran Martin. I am here. Explosion Network, assemble. Uh, and joining us as well, Dylan Blight. <laughs> the astonishing Dylan Blight I shall be on this podcast from now on. Okay. Oh, then if we go in with that, I'm the ultimate Kieran Marchant. There you go. All right. Yeah, that's fine. Write that up in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> Not nothing, you know, everything in this, this show has already been set in stone. This is well prepared for. Um, everything's, you know. He really is writing it in the document right now. And this is probably going to get cut out, but I'm going to talk like this anyway. No. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's get straight into it. Today, we're going to be talking about the first uh, Marvel Studios film, Iron Man. Mr. Stark, you've been called the Da Vinci of our time. What do you say to that? Absolutely ridiculous. I don't paint. What do you say to your other nickname, the Merchant of Death? That's not bad. They say the best weapon is one you never have to fire. I prefer the weapon you only need to fire once. That's how Dad did it. That's how America does it. And it's worked out pretty well so far. To peace. You have to tomorrow. To assemble my missile. I should be dead already. Unless it was for a reason. I just finally know what I have to do. That doesn't look like a missile. What are you building, Stark? I'm working on something big. Released in 2008, directed by John Favreau, written by Mark Fergus, Hawk Obspy, Art Markham, and Matt Holloway, starring Robert Downey Jr., Terrence Howard, Jeff Bridges, Sean Tube, Gwyneth Paltrow, Farron Tier, uh, Paul Bettany, Leslie Bibb, and Clark Gregg. When Tony Stark, an industrialist, is captured, he constructs a high-tech armored suit to escape. Once he manages to escape, he decides to use his suit to fight against evil forces to save the world. Uh, Dylan, how about you kick things off? When was the last time you watched Iron Man, and what did you think on this this rewatch? I think I the last time would have been in a rewatch of all the movies prior to the first Avengers, and that's the only time I've done any sort of rewatch prior to any of the uh, Marvel films. Like I didn't do any prior to Avengers two, didn't do any prior to Endgame or anything. I only ever did it for the first Avengers. So uh, when the when the first Avengers came out, like two thousand and twelve or something like that. Something right? like that, so, yes. Yeah, like twenty twelve. So, yeah. So yeah, it's been like eight years, I guess. Um, this film still holds up very well. I think, like my my overall thoughts on it, like watching it now, is it's still like John Favreau just deserves, I think so much credit for kind of just setting up a blueprint, not only for Iron Man, but also just the general uh, feel and tone for the Marvel movies as they went ahead. Like 
in this movie he introduces like favreau sets up the the level of comedy that would get mixed with like the seriousness and then like the 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 explosive action scenes and you know especially like i made this comment to, to ash off recording but the, the thing that stood out to me the fact the most is just the fact that they he got the iron man thing so right the first time that no one ever had to change or iterate on it because they were like that's perfect like and by that i mean the the camera inside the helmet's heads up display shots and all that sort of stuff like that is what they use for iron man forever not because it was like oh they can't change it because it's how it's done they could have changed it if it was bad but simply because favreau got it so right the first time making these movies that they never needed to to mess around and that's kind of one of the iconic ways that they've always shot iron man for for no matter who was directing the movie so uh that's the i guess the big standard thing and then um the other thing is, I guess, because it's been so long since I watched it, I'm just surprised how MCU this feels when this was before they had really dug their heels into committing to an MCU, but it still very much has that MCU feel and and uh, flavor to it, uh, which, yeah, stood out. But I, I think this is definitely still one of the best MCU movies. It's... I think probably one of the at least top three origin story movies as far as I'm concerned still. And I guess knowing where Tony Stark's character goes by the time we get to Endgame, uh, looking back on him here, it's just he's he's definitely is the character that has the most uh, growth and character work throughout the the entire MCU, which is another standout. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kieran, what did you think? And when was the last time you watched Iron Man? I watched this uh, retrospectively after watching Endgame. Um, I don't know, it felt... After Endgame, Endgame gave this movie a whole different kind of feeling to it in many ways, where it's kind of... Knowing the ending kind of makes you appreciate the beginning even more and just how far everything's come and how well this movie established. Iron Man is... Even before this movie, Iron Man was one of my favorite. Is probably one of my favorite Marvel characters. Um, that stems from the animated series that I grew up watching. Like I really enjoyed the animated series when I was a kid. Um, and and to see Iron Man brought to life in this way is really good. Um, the movie itself, I always forget when I come into this movie how long this movie is. Like I always like it. It gives itself a really good time frame to establish everything. Like, nothing feels overly rushed. Maybe some of the Iron Man stuff towards the end kind of feels a little bit rough when he's kind of developing the suit and moving forward, but they give this they give this character in this franchise so much room to establish itself at the beginning with jumping back and having, the like, the flashback series of leading up to what happens at the first scene um, that really establishes who Tony Stark was, where he was up to in his life, what the world around him was like. Um, It kind of gives you that, not only the retroactively kind of reflection of himself at the beginning and end of the movie, but also it gives the, um, for the end of Endgame and the start of this movie. It is night and day. Um, I think John Favreau, as Dylan has already said, there is, he's much to be thanked for this, movie because i think his direction in this is fantastic um and his insight along with the casting directions to cast robert downey jr in this role because not many people remember it now because of everything happening who he is today but around about this time robert downey jr was not a hot commodity in hollywood like he had done uh, a number of movies that hadn't gone well he'd been a number of scandals um he was a bit 
kind of nobody really wanted to make movies with him and John Favreau pulled him up and said no he's the guy I want for Tony Stark and he smashes it out the park he does so well he's on screen chemistry even in this first movie with um Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts is like it's it's so good like it's so fantastic to see that chemistry between the two characters that it, you, it's believable and it, they don't feel like it rushes the quote-unquote love story for the movie like it has Pepper Potts in many ways a very well-written grounded character in this where you know you have that moment at the end of the movie where he's trying to bring up oh remember that night and she immediately kind of has a moment with him and like brings him crashing down to earth with exactly what the the real situation was about that moment which i think is funny because a lot of writers and a lot of people in general might not have done that and might have just gone with the cliche kind of love kind of story there and so i think it's written well i think overall i really do love this movie um i don't love obadiah stain like there's just something about him that's still very like his I don't know if it's the acting or his character doesn't quite fit with everything else that goes on with this movie. Um, just with... He's very over the top. Um, but it, it's still fantastic in general. Um, I still love this movie. I love the feeling of this movie. And, and it does so much amazing things to kind of establish the MCU going forward. Who plays Obastire uh, Stain, Kieran? It's Jeff Bridges, right? I didn't even look this time because I was like, Finally. I, you know what? <laughs> I said Obadiah then because I was like, I don't know if I have the confidence to say Jeff Bridges here <laughs> and not fuck it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, like Dylan, I haven't watched it since the day of Avengers being released because I remember we did, me and my friends did a bunch of the rewatch prior to going to see the Avengers. Um, so it is it is a little bit jarring to go back to the beginning and seeing Tony uh the bachelor, the playboy, um, compared to where he not is. Not the family man not that's the family out man to save the, the world. But and... even like in general, I feel like I don't think a like a playboy works as like a likable character anymore. Um especially the way Not really. Not really. Um But yeah, I, I, I yeah, that was obviously a little bit jarring, but once you get over that hump, I mean, it's a really great film. Um, incredible for its time. Uh, I I don't love the third act. Like, the the ending is not my favourite of all the Marvel movies and that kind of thing. Um, and there's, there's some really, like, cheesy moments, like, uh, especially in that finale with Pepper Potts screaming, but you'll die! Uh you know, just push the button. He told you to push it the button. It feels a little too <laughs> convenient that, like, he's blown out of the way, like, yeah, just as there's a lot of stuff moments like... of convenience. You know, he, yeah. he manages to recover, like, 20 centimeters from the ground when he's falling from... I it think also... the worst part of this movie is literally just the last, like, boss fight yeah. section or whatever. Because, Very, because yeah. it legit has, like, a second stage to the boss fight, like a video game boss fight, where... You know what? If they had left it and like left it as like the froze, like him falling from the sky, that would have been satisfying. I would have been fine with that. I would have been like, "That's fucking. That's really good. That's kind of showing progression from what Tony's been through in this movie. Awesome. Let's end it there. Let's just tie it up there instead of having to blow up the freaking arc reactor and the you know the continual back and forth." Doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. 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 Uh, also, who made the arc reactor simple enough that you could just flip a couple switches and then press a big button for it to overload itself? Like, come on, Tony Stark. 
Yeah, but mm, come on. Mm, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, as we go along in this rewatch, we'll be going through all the different char- recurring characters um, uh, from their first appearance. Uh, so let's kick things off in this segment called Building the MCU. I'll kick things off with Tony Stark, Iron Man, played by Robert Downey Jr., debuted in Tales of Suspense uh, 39, which de- was March 1963, created by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, Don Heck, and Jack Kirby. How do we all feel about Tony Stark? Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. I feel like it's a, it's like he's pretty great. It's perfect. Given Can't imagine anybody else in the role. Yeah, you, there's no way you can imagine anyone else in that role now. Like he's he, the, the, he is iconic without overusing that word. I feel for this role. Yeah. Um. Then we've got Pepper Potts, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, who debuted in Tales of Suspense number forty-five from September nineteen sixty-three, created by Stan Lee, Robert Bernstein, and Don Heck. Um, I like Gwyneth Paltrow. I think. Obviously, she's not everybody's cup of tea, and <laughs> she's become less of everybody's cup of tea in the years since this came out, with all her non-Marvel content and business uh, decisions. <laughs> business. Got yourself into a bit of a hole here, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, obviously, she was really good in this. Um, I, yeah, like Kieran said, they've got really good chemistry, and they've got like a good, playful relationship. Um, yeah, what do you guys think of Gwyneth Paltrow? I think, it, well, I think she's great in the role, but also at the same time, I think it's not like in the same league as Robert, where it's like I could imagine somebody else doing the Pepper Potts role. Um, I still think she's fantastic in it, and I think she has, as I said, great chemistry. Um, but it, especially in this movie, it is it is quite manageable, and she does have her annoying moments in this movie itself, with the whole "you're going to die" crap. Yeah, I think I I just think she's fine. Like she's like she she's not standout. She does the job of being like the the potential love interest. I guess I I think obviously I'll save this for future movies. But I think by the time you get to Iron Man three, I think they have there's like a cool direction they could have obviously taken Pepper Potts, but it they never really go there. Obviously, so like not to skip too far ahead. I just think her overall she. Like Gwyneth Paltrow rev- doesn't really get a chance to do much with the character in the, her run in the MCU at all. So, yeah. no, I mean she has some good lines and moments and that kind of thing, but yeah, she obviously not stand out. She's mostly just the girlfriend or the the, the assistant, you, you know, the assistant or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, interesting one: James Rhodey Rhodes, played by Terrence Howard in this film. Uh, debuted in Iron Man 118 in January 1979, created by David Micheline, John Byrne, and Bob Layton. Uh, obviously, Terrence Howard's only performances, James Rhodes, uh, not returning in the second film for, I believe it was salary reasons. Like well, he was getting fulfill... paid more. He was paid more than RDJ in this movie. Yes, and then they wanted to cut his salary in the second one. He was not going to do that. <laughs> From yeah. memory. Um, yes. Yeah. Which is disappointing because I really liked Terrence Howard in this film. I think it would have made a really good war machine. Obviously, Don Cheadle, who we'll talk about in a few weeks' time, really good as well. Uh, but again, this is another one of those things that is really jarring going back um, and watching this film. I didn't love Rhodey's writing in this. 
is my only thing. Like, I don't like that scene um, where Tony goes and visits him in the warehouse where Terrence, uh, freaking Rhodey's got, like, all the students around him. They have that discussion where Tony's like, hey, I want you to join and help. And Rhodey's a bit weird about helping him or is, is trying to downplays what Tony is because he stepped away from doing arms in the army and stuff. Um, which for me doesn't really reflect as in Rhodey's character very much. Um, but yeah, it's um, he's, he's, well, is that because mind, does that not reflect the Rhodey you you've come from knowing over the last couple of years? Because well, I just, just feel like he's written a lot differently in this for the Terrence Howard version compared to the possibly the even Rhodey yeah. from comic books that I know of or Rhodey from the animated series is just very different in that way. Um, where in many ways he's always very loyal to Tony, um, but still has this kind of loyalties to the US Army and everything. Yeah. I just think it was. Obviously, in a this, bit it's odd. A, it, the, the equation is slightly more flipped to the Army side. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like um, it's been ages since I've watched Iron Man 2, but so when we when we get to that, but from, from memory, I feel like even though obviously he has the whole like Army Allegiance side of that for the majority of that film, I, I still think from memory it's not as tilted in this one as like in this one it he he feels even more like in pro two it's like he gets yeah. pushed to his limit before he like he does everything in his power to stop it from like not getting involved with the army stuff and like does everything he can even though the army keeps trying to make him do it until he has the moment with tony he's like no nah, it's enough we're taking this away yeah. and we're yeah i guess the other thing is it's like watching this version, it's hard to picture this version doing what uh, we see Rhodey eventually do, which is kind of turn his back on the American government or the army or whatever you want to call it to, to a degree, obviously, and helping out uh, fugitives and uh, this mm. sort of thing. So, yeah. I don't know. And, and it's not just because of it's a different actor, it's just, a, 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 it just feels like a different version of the character. And that is because it's portrayed by a different person. So. Yeah. Playing it differently, yeah. Yeah. Well, now's an interesting point to bring it up because obviously there's another character who shows up, admittedly only in photographs, but it was later recast. Uh, I don't know who played it, but Howard Stark. Yeah. Uh, completely different actor. Would you be against them going back and putting John Slattery in, like, as a photo? No. no. Not at all. I, no. cause I think at this point, when it's just casting somebody in a photo, there's been other movies that have done the same. When it's casting somebody in a photo, it's like... I, I guess yeah. I guess with this movie especially at the time they didn't have the foresight to be like okay we need an actor that we're going to be able to use in the future like I, I think it's fine and why would you pay someone a big yeah. amount for <laughs> a one photo appearance like a big name actor yeah. you know so yeah no, this this is definitely something where if they said hey we've paid whatever the dude's name is who plays him in the future ones from Mad Men um, if we we've paid him money um we're going to go back and for all future versions of the Blu-rays or and all the Disney Plus version that's streaming, the photo's been CGI'd, so you got the right face there. I'd be like, I don't care. Like a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people would scream, "This is how it starts." Next level, we'll have George Lucas level ever, you know. But I, I don't like yes. that's fine. That that's very small, minute yeah. detail to help continue to the continuity of the films. If they were like, "Hey, we're uh, digitally <laughs> editing uh, to add Don Cheadle's face," I'd be like. That's no. a that's no, that's that's, that's yes, exactly. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. There, I've the other thing is that I felt like there were a few continuity things that it were didn't quite fit in. Like obviously, uh, 
the shield thing. Uh, we know shield. The was shield thing weird. While. <laughs> yeah, the shield thing's weird. Where he's like using the full name, and you're like, yeah, yeah, but you're you're shield. But you, and shield's you, been you a thing know for a while. Yeah, shield from its. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's one of those things where I guess at the time they were trying to be all smoke and mirrors about it, being yeah. like the big reveal at the end, be like, oh, shields involved. Holy crap! Um, whereas now that you look back at it, you go. Right, okay. Awkward. And the other thing, and then, like, I guess with the um, having the connection to, like, having the um, terrorist group be called the Ten Rings. Yes. Um, in this is kind of like okay, because that's that was always the speculation going forward. Is okay. When does the Mandarin come in? When does the Mandarin come in from this? Because clearly there is something to do with him in this. But yeah, it's just very. And then what they did with the Mandarin just kind of makes it a bit odd. Yeah. Uh, and then, then I think they they changed how old Tony was when his parents died, because wasn't he much more? It sounded like he was like eight or ten, but then in Iron Man three he's much older. No, was it? No, no, no. In this, no, 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 because he'd already graduated from MIT uh, before his parents died. And why was Albert Dyer staying the CEO? <laughs> because he was still like eighteen, nineteen. Because Tony graduated. Because Tony graduated for so young, and then. Tony took over when he was 21. Okay. There we go. Clear that up. Uh, next <laughs> up, <laughs> Happy Hogan, played by John Favreau, debuted in Tales of Suspense 45, September 1963, created by Stanley, Robert Bernstein, and Don Heck. Uh, I'm betting John Favreau feels very lucky that he decided to make this decision of casting himself in this role, uh, seeing where Happy Hogan has gone since uh, to... Spider-Man's right hand. Spider-Man's right, like, yeah. mentor, pretty much, or best yeah. friend. Or yeah. man in the chair. <laughs> seeing, like, seeing John Favreau, especially the first time you see him where he's so young and, like, so, like, he, he looks great, and you're like, hey. for me, he still looks great. He still looks fantastic. I'm not saying Just anything, a different type he's of very, He's a <laughs> different type of great. He's very baby-faced. Um, where it's... It makes you feel like it's that one of those things where, and I don't know what, I don't know if pride is the right word, but that that feeling of knowing who Happy Hogan is in Spider-Man: Far From Home, and knowing how like his moment of his moment in the jet with Peter Parker is one of my favorite MCU moments personally, um, and I think seeing that here and seeing him so kind of early in that character where, you know, it probably wasn't developed that this character was going to be the same as another character that we'll talk about that this character wasn't going to hang around for that long or be as important as he is um i think it's really good to see him in this role cool uh then agent phil colson played by clark Gregg, created for iron man uh from humble beginnings <laughs> you know yeah it's uh, funny to think that that small character would go on to become uh, his character star of a name. Uh, doesn't he in the credits does he just have like no 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 not in in the credit he got given one but apparently yeah. when he was initially Clark Gregg when he was initially offered the role his role didn't even have a name so he was reluctant to take the role because he didn't want to take a small part in it he wanted to when he was looking at job offers and stuff um so apparently they specifically made the name and everything for Clark Gregg 
and it just kind of turned into this thing. And he's glad he took that now. <laughs> he's glad he took that job. Yeah. Personally, in terms of narratives, I wish he wasn't as long-lasting as he has been in the MCU in terms of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff. I wish his story did end in Avengers, but... We're, well, as an asterisk, as a side, to, to, because we're not really going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but, like, we're not re-watching maybe. Agents... We're not doing an Agent S.H.I.E.L.D.'s watching no, time. Maybe. Maybe. I think. Mm, maybe I'll get um, somebody else. <laughs> Yeah, well, you can do that, but like, I was just going to say, what? Cause what is everyone's? Uh, obviously, Ash sounds like he, he's he loves. The I show. enjoyed it. I, I, I yeah. dropped off, um, as everybody did, as a lot of people. I dropped did. off at I, season. I dropped off like halfway through season two. Is where I dropped off. Yeah, I I definitely feel like if I, I one of the major obstacles I felt like for Agents of Shield was getting it, like here in Australia, it was very difficult to. to to watch because I think it was like seven at like some ungodly hour of the night. Um, it was never like on a regular time slot or anything. Um, and then I don't think it really came to any streaming services. Uh, so hopefully Disney Plus put some I remember out, I all the seasons all out. Of, so then all of the first season I bought one by one on uh, iTunes. Oof! Like I bought them on iTunes because I was watching them at the time and I was inept at everything else in life. Yeah. I mean, season um, one was solid, but then obviously, Civil War happened, and then it got pretty good, and then you know, is it, it started again. wacky? <laughs> is it wacky that in as of the current MCU timeline, as far as we know, still none of the Avengers know that Coulson's alive? I don't know because I haven't watched the show. I don't know if they ever like covered no, that. There's in the no, show. there's no like proper like Clark Gregg never comes back for an Avengers movie. He's never in a bigger. He's never in a movie again. Oh no, that's a lie. He's in Captain Marvel. That's a lie. He is in Captain Marvel, but he's never in a modern day Avengers movie. And he his TV show role is like a weird role in the end of it where. But they end up going to like space and everything. I don't. I didn't care. About it. Yeah, they got. Involved in all that inhuman it stuff, which got weird, but yeah. Uh, then we've got Nick Fury, played by Samuel L. Jackson, originally debuted in say Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, May nineteen sixty three, created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Um, again, a ballsy move, like straight up calling out Avengers, like calling their shot straight out of the gate, and the first ever end of credits scene. That was actually at the end of the credits. And thank you, Disney Plus, for having a skip credits button. Greatly appreciated. Go straight to the thing, does it? Yeah. Yeah, go straight cool. to the yeah, scene. Um, can I say another character another actor slash character that comes into the role? And at the time, I don't like he the fact that he has forever changed Nick Fury in comic books. Um in many ways, because I think prior to this, Nick Fury was always a white person instead of a person of color. Where I think all modern day versions of Nick Fury are now a person of color. Um, well, as he, it. I mean, the this is his version was based on the Ultimate version, which yes. was written by Mark Millar. Um, and right, but the funny thing is that they based he based that version to look like Samuel Jackson basically. Yeah, so okay. it was yeah, like okay. everything coming full circle because like full I circle, I, hadn't yeah. me- I hadn't read a plethora of Avengers comics prior to like getting into Marvel stuff, but I had read the Ultimate series prior to this. So as far as I was concerned, you know, like there was no I didn't know there was a white version of yeah, Nick Fury that was until the one 
I grew up with was the one that was in <laughs> the like the Jim Stranker sp- run. Yeah. Yes, and like the Spider-Man runs, and like uh, I believe he shows up in X-Men a couple of times and stuff. Like that kind of universe of animated shows that were all happening at the same time. That was the Fury I knew the best. So, uh, but I think he instantly embodied that character fantastically well, and was yeah. instantly. But considering now that I know that he was kind of written as that character anyway, it makes sense. It makes sense, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then finally, Jarvis, played by Paul Bettany, created for Iron Man, the movie. Uh, which was an interesting tidbit that I learned. That wasn't a thing from the comics or anything. Uh, then the I other th- interesting tidbit is Paul Bettany did it as a favor to John Favreau. <laughs> <laughs> the, I this is the one thing I forgot. I think, or my bra- not like properly forgot where I was. I didn't know it, but I kind of just blanked over because it's been so long. I watched it, but when he, uh, when the Java's voice came on, I was like, "Fuck." It's so funny to think like how far this is the first MCU movie. Jarvis is the voice here, and then to think like how far that goes on to becoming like Vision and everything. I'm like, it's yeah. just—it's crazy how some of it they managed to make it work and integrate. And yeah, it kind of makes this doing something like this a rewatch when I haven't watched some of these movies for so many years. Like appreciate, I guess, some of the minute details, or it's not really a minute detail, but the smaller yeah. details a lot more. I guess, yeah. And for Paul Bettany. Doing a favor for John Favreau. Who knew that what? What he's getting himself into? <laughs> he's what he's getting himself into. Twelve years later, to be get it, be a part of a TV show um, with with WandaVision. Like it's 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 kind of crazy. Um, but I didn't know that Jarvis. I don't know why. I've always just had Jarvis in my head with Iron Man, and I don't know why that is. But that's just always been synonymous. Synonymous. No, I believe so. that he was introduced to the comics not long after the film came out. Obviously, yeah. because of the popularity, okay. uh, and of course, yeah. Jarvis, the name based on Tony Stark's old butler. Fun, fun uh, fact: all of my phones since, well, since this obviously um, have either had Jarvis or like one of uh, like the AIs from Marvel's. In it. So I'm up to Edith at the moment. Like Edith is my current phone's name. You name the phones. S- yeah, I changed my phone's name so they're different. So, so in my car, because my car displays my phone name. Oh. So it's like, um, so like my my car when I'm driving around shows like Jarvis is ready and stuff on the car screen, and I'm like, <laughs> like every time it makes me laugh. <laughs> Nerd. All right. Fuck <laughs> off, Ashley. <laughs> All right. Let's kick off. Let's jump into this week's Stanley um, sighting. <laughs> Yay! Uh, pretty basic one. He plays a Hugh Hefner lookalike at the big fundraiser, uh, surrounded by a bunch of ladies. I'm sure it was a great downset for him. Did this doesn't this doesn't include in the MCU? But Stan Lee did Hugh Hefner like in a Fantastic Four movie as well, right? I think. I think I want to say I can't remember. I th- I don't, I you might be right because because I think he played it in like yeah yeah like one, one of the Fantastic Fours. I, I think he might have. Yeah. I feel like he's done it before, which is why I always get I always get caught off guard when he is in it in this one like this. I'm like oh shit, this is this movie. Yep, and that's been your Stanley sighting for this week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump into most marvelous moment. Uh, Dylan, what's your most marvelous moment? Of Iron Man. What, to set this up for like yes. future episodes, what is your description of What's your favorite the most moment? marvelous moment? Just your favorite <laughs> <moment>? <laughs> I thought it was pretty just, self-explanatory. Okay, so it's just, just, well, just for the audience, you know, just 
there was no descriptors on this. Um, so favorite moment, I'm going to just like I know like moment. I don't know how like we're putting caps on like the how big a section we're allowed no, we're to not. pick. We're not putting any okay. caps on. As so long in as that it's case, not the entire movie. No, I, I'm just going to go with like from the moment that Tony starts becoming uh, friendly with the the dude who he's captured with up until his entire escape sequence. Like that section okay. of the movie is probably my yeah. favorite part of the movie. I think because it's it's when you see Tony's like start churning and realizing the mistakes he's made and all that you know all that, all, all that's start starting to play way on him and then just um him becoming friends with that guy's like really kind of sweet relationship to see happen and then um how angry he gets to to see his weapons used against him and not, you know what's what 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 he's actually it's just he's awakening i think it's like a, an important the one of the most if not the most important scene for tony as a character really if you think about it like without that moment there's no Tony. There's no Iron Man. No Tony Stark. Like that becomes the hero that wants to change his ways. Like that goes buys a burger, sits down next to reporters, and then Ooh. says, "Like I'm shutting down." Like <laughs> he loves cheeseburgers. Yeah, it hurt. it hurt seeing it now. Are we are we doing a disservice by not having Ginson featured in our building of the MCU? Because he does feature again in another MCU movie. Just, just he does, but you know. Does uh, I feel like it's a I think I feel one. like this uh, this one it was so stacked <laughs> full of people who would appear later uh, that yeah, I think yeah it was a tough one too. <sighs> Kieran, what's your most marvelous moment? It's hard not to pick I am Iron Man, right? Like not only for what that became because of Endgame, but also for what I remember being in the cinemas when that happened. And how fucking crazy it felt. Not just from, I guess, a comic book fan point of view, but also from all we've recently, all we'd recently kind of known in history, were in the history of kind of comic book movies, was mainly a lot of Spider-Man and Spider-Man movies being like, I, I need to hide my identity. I need to hide my identity. I need to hide it. Well, I'm Batman and yeah. I'm Batman. Everything was a hidden identity. And when he comes out and says, I am Iron Man, it fucking was just like... Holy fuck, that's that's incredible. Because I believe even the original versions of Iron Man was secretive about his... Um, like, the original Iron Man was a lot more closer to Batman in terms of hiding his identity and being yeah. very secretive about who the he was. The bodyguard thing um, they said at the end of the film was the yes. excuse they used in the actual comics for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, so I think for me, I Am Iron Man was... It's such an altering kind of moment in not only Marvel history, but the MCU history. Um, and how that is reflected after Endgame is even more kind of incredible for Marvel fans. I think for, for this movie in particular, I think the reason that scene's so iconic is just the fact, like the fact it just cuts straight to the ACDC and the, the credits. Like, and it doesn't leave you, you hanging. Like, it just it plays like a rock star moment. You know, just I am, I am, and bam, like cut straight to credits, like fucking, like shit. Like, what happens next? Where's the next movie? You know, like it very, it very much is like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to say the first time Iron Man goes and lets loose over in the Middle East, uh, flying who knows how long uh, in that suit, <laughs> and then just kind of <laughs> letting loose for the first time with all these different weapons and that kind of stuff. It was a lot of fun to watch on screen for the first also, time. Also, as connected to that, the scene with him and Rhodey while fight, like trying to tr chase off with those fighter jets, I find 
that conversation hilarious like yeah. I, I always find like it like a smile of that conversation of just like Rody, it's me it's it's me like just fucking and just everything that unravels with you know the whole what what excuse am i coming up to say it was a training exercise i can't That's and then immediately cuts to exactly him <laughs> it's saying a training press exercise and, uh... it's a training exercise <laughs> everybody is fine it's, we had nothing to do yeah. with yeah. Uh, yeah close second was of course the training sequence with the uh the robot and the fire extinguisher very great that was great all right before i wrap things up i've got a comic book recommendation uh probably going to chuck one of these in at the end of every one of these marvel rewatch episodes uh this time i'm recommending iron man the age the iron age uh from 1998 volume uh issue one and two it was a two-part prestige like uh comics thing so like 48 pages each written by kurt Busiek, uh penciled by patch zercher uh pretty much a telling of the early days of iron man from the point of view of Pepper Potts, and then in the second one, it's told from the point of view of Happy Hogan. Um, apparently, very, very good. So, uh, you can, of course, pick that up. You can check it out on Marvel Unlimited or Comixology. Uh, I don't think there's any trades off from the quick research I did uh, to pick it up in, but yeah, check that out. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, let us know what you thought of Iron Man or, the comic, or your comic re- recommendations. Uh, for Iron Man on Twitter. You can find all of us, all of us on Twitter by going to explosionnetwork.com slash Twitter. Uh, for our next Marvel rewatch, we'll be discussing The Incredible Hulk. So make sure you watch that and join us next time for an all-new Marvel cast. Marvel.